From Pure Advantage, I'm Simon Miller, and welcome to our podcast, the destination for leading-edge discussion with some of the world's experts in green growth, regenerative development, business, and climate change. Our Regenerative Future, Season 2, looks at Otatu Nahiri, our forest, and stems from our collaboration with project partners Tane's Tree Trust, New Zealand's preeminent native forest experts and scientists. Together, we've taken a deep dive into the regeneration of native forests as a source of natural, spiritual and economic value. The purpose of this series is to spark cross-sector dialogue and get people thinking about the potential for native forests in a regenerative and restorative economy. For listeners interested in a bit more, we produced a short documentary, Otato Nahiri, and compiled an array of expert contributions and videos, all hosted and freely available on pureadvantage.org and tarnaystrees.org. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for being on the journey to Our Regenerative Future Season 2. The pure advantages of native forests, why our forests matter so much for us and for the world. In this first episode of Season 2, host Vincent Herringer introduces the big themes of the Otatu Nahiri program with Professor Warwick Sylvester of Tane's Tree Trust, Sheridan Ashford of Future Foresters, and Ramona Radford of Government Research Institute, Scion. The discussion unpacks the current state of New Zealand's native forests and the major issues and opportunities forests face around climate change, biodiversity, water quality, economic, spiritual and cultural importance for all New Zealanders. Enjoy. Well, kia ora koutou, everyone. I'm Vincent Herringer and I'm the host of the Our Regenerative Future Season 2, Otato Nahiri, or Our Forest, and it's produced by Pure Advantage and Tane's Tree Trust. And also, we're very grateful for the collaboration of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship. I'll be joined by a superb panel of three experts, Professor Warwick Sylvester of Waikato University and also of Tane's Tree Trust, Ramona Radford from Scion, and Sheridan Ashford, the co-founder of Future Foresters. In a second, I'll let these fine folk introduce themselves, but just some housekeeping. We are very happy to take your questions, um, simply add them to the chat, and I'll do my best to put them to the panellists if there's time, and there should be time. We've allowed time for it. There's a ton of great material for you to read on our website. That's pureadvantage.org, pureadvantage.org. And you can follow us on any of your favorite social media channels, except perhaps TikTok. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, we'll be back again for the second in the seven-part series. Right. Well, to our guests, I'd really like for you to be introduced to our guests. They're going to tell them a bit about themselves. So they're going to tell us who they are what they do and why forests matter to them. And Ramona, maybe we could start with you. Kia ora, thank you for joining us. Who are you? What do you do? Kia ora, Vince. Nice to see everyone. So, uh, ko kapua rangi te maunga, kei uta ki rangi ahua, ko tainui waka, ko ngai tai iwi, ko tōrere nui arua te marae. So, I'm Ramona Radford. Uh, my people are from the Eastern Bay of Plenty. I work at Scion and have been the lead of uh, Te Ao Māori Capability and Māori Partnerships here. 
Scion uh, is a Crown Research Institute that is that has a mandate for research, science, and innovation for forests, including uh, standing forests or nahiri. My greatest achievement is that I am a nanny. So, why forests matter so much to me and the world that I belong to. Is that something that you want me to talk about now, Vince? Or well, we, we, we'll, um, we're going to come back to, um, to your role as a nanny. That sounds very interesting, but I suspect <laughs> what, you, what you wanted to say is that they matter to you and to your mokupuna. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, to me and my mokupuna, to me and my, my people, uh, to me and the world that I belong to, um, they're, they're, they're so important for, for so many reasons. So I'll come back to the, yeah, the, we'll, the we'll reasons explore that why one. later. Yeah, great. Thank you. Kia ora. Thank you, Ramona. Warwick, over to you. What do you do in regards to forests and why do they matter to you? Oh, well, firstly, uh, just to uh, reiterate, I've been retired from the university for 12 years, uh, so that's a bit behind me, uh, but I still team, team, uh, seem to carry that. Otani Tree Trust has been a mission for me because uh, Rob McGowan and I had coffee one day. Some of you may know Pa McGowan, uh, Rob, and we sat down and said, um, this was in uh, the year 2000, and uh, We've been observing the way in which native forests suddenly had been exploited, but suddenly were totally closed down. Uh, the conservation movement had effectively reduced any activity within the forest uh, and uh, we, they were closed down. So we thought there's got to be another view. We've got to look at forests uh, in all of their values. We've got to look at all of the values that forests provide. And so uh, a group of us got together. We had a seminar and we formed Tarnage Tree Trust. We'll talk a little bit more about Tarnage Tree Trust later on. But I, I've worked uh, scientifically in forests for a long time. I've worked a lot on nutrient cycling. I've worked with Kauri quite a lot. And I, I have a feeling in forests that I find is spiritual. When I'm in a forest, I feel an affection for the environment that it creates in me and with the forest itself. So there's more to it than just the science for me. I am uh, the chairman of a trust which manages 100 acres of bush outside of Hamilton where we've taken a, a fairly trashed piece of bush and we've turned it into a, a wonderful piece of lowland forest. And uh, that really turns me on. Well, kia ora, Warwick. Thank you for sharing that. And you know what they say about um, professors, it's like the Hotel California. You can, you can check out, but you can never leave. <laughs> Sheridan. Tell us about your work a little, and tell us a little bit about Future Foresters and we will come back in greater detail. But tell us now, who, who are you and why do forests matter to you? Okay, cool. Thanks, um, Vincent. Um, I work in commercial plantation exotic forestry. That's my day job. I'm a tra trained forester. But um, I guess kind of why I'm here is I'm part of a group that started the Future Foresters New Zealand and we're really passionate about the next generation of foresters and spreading the word, getting more people involved in forestry because I feel like it's this thing in New Zealand that nobody really knows exists and we just we want more people to know what it is, we want people to know the benefits, we sort of want to help tell that story to the generations that are coming through at the moment and also what will that look like 
in the future is sort of what turns me on, like why I see. And not just for native forests, but exotics as well. All forestry, yeah. I think it's just this part of our landscape that not enough New Zealanders know anything about. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone, for the brief introductions. Warwick, I might start with you. I want to know more about the state of our native forests because we have the sense that there is a conservation estate, but um, is that conservation estate in, in peril? Is it big enough? Uh, and what, what kind of health is it in? Can you give us a, a kind of a 101 on the state of our native forests? In addressing that, there are two aspects to this. One is the quantity. The other is the quality. Let's address the quantity first of all. New Zealand, prior to the arrival of humans, was about 80% forest. There's very good records of that. When Europeans arrived here, there was about 50% cover of the country as in forest. Today, we've got 30%. So we have lost an enormous amount of forest. So in terms of quantity, we've lost a lot. And most of that, of course, is in the high country. And, of course, most of it's in the the conservation estate. But I I, I started to look at countries which have less forest in them than we do. There are remarkably few. Well, those that do, you find they're either deserts. Uh, You know, Australia's only got 70% of its country in forest. Uh, And you can mention why that is. You can't grow forest in the desert. Sudan, for example, is 18 the UK, of course, which has been almost essentially deforested, is only 12% forest. But uh, when you compare New Zealand with other areas, take Japan, which is a country of similar size, well, 120 million people, to support 120 million people on a country which is a bit bigger than New Zealand. How can you guess how much they've got in forestry? 67% of that country is under forest. They seem to be able to do it. People say you, you can't afford to uh, feed yourself unless you have uh, a land under grass. That's not true. So uh, the history of New Zealand is we've essentially deforested all of the low country and turned it into grass. So that's the quantity business. The quality is another one because the, the quality, of course, has also gone downhill because uh, we have introduced into our forest a number of uh, exotic animals, predators of various sorts, uh, weeds. We've allowed grazing into our forests. In fact, many farms have winter grazing inside a bunch of forest. Uh, and the piece of forest that I manage is exactly like that. We've got the bit of the animals. We've actually transformed, a period of 15 years, we've transformed that forest. We have planted 9,000 uh, trees amongst it. And we've got another 1,000 to go in actually next month. Oh, I digress. I digress. So uh, we, we have uh, decimated the amount of forest. We've actually ruined a lot of the habitat. I could go into that at great length, but uh, there's an essential summary. And that forest that does exist, the main threats would be from what? From further deforestation or is it from pests? Mainly from pests. Uh, um, I was just a few days ago in in, uh, Doubtful Sound and uh, we were looking at the map and we could see Secretary Island, uh, an island that's had all of the predators taken off it. And it's a wonderful example of what forest can be like. There are increasing examples. And then two days, three days later, I had a night walk in Zealandia. And you know, the, the uh, fence area in, in Wellington, a night walk, absolutely fantastic. Two hours in this forest in the middle of the night. Within four minutes, we saw two kiwi. And then a few, uh, a few minutes later, we saw two tuatara. 
and so on went on. Uh, if you go into places like that, uh, Zealandia and, and uh, other places that, uh, where predators have been removed, you see what the transformation has been brought about. It's very, very obvious. Ramona, when you think about how much of our Nahiri has been lost, what, what has been lost in the process? You know, what makes our forests so special, you know, so unique in the world? Um, and, and when you think about the loss, you know, what, what does that actually mean? Well, to Te Ao Māori, the natural world uh, was birthed through a process, kore, kore uh, the potential in the void. So there was this potential in a, in a space of no- nothingness. Nā te kore te pō, uh, the form in the darkness, began to sh- take shape. Ki te whaiao, to the glimmer of dawn. Ki te ao mārama, to the bright light of day. Te hei māori ora, there is life. During this time, the earth and the sky were formed and came into being. Korangi nui ka moi ia papatua nuku ka puta ki waho ko tane nui a rangi. So rangi nui and papatua nuku, sky and earth, uh, gave birth to the forest and many other things mm. at that that point. So this is a narrative obviously from Te Ao Māori and inside this birthing process uh, there were many phases and stages. So this narrative acknowledges that the natural world evolved over time and as a reminder it, it keeps us as tangata whenua humble uh, and it reminds us to walk gently upon uh, the earth and it also rehumanizes us to our environment. So what does the nahere mean to te ao Māori? As a word, nahere uh, is two ideas combined. Combined, they mean the binding of the many. So the binding of, of the many trees, you could say, the binding of, of the many ecosystems, uh, the binding of the different worlds, uh, both the human and the natural world, uh, the binding of earth and sky. Um, but the nahere to te ao Māori is, is a self-supporting s- system of life. So it's, it's, not, it's a single system that is connected to sky and to earth, and it's not one, you know, those aren't three things to the indigenous people of, of, of the globe, those are the same thing. And we as humans are a part of that whole. So when I think of what the Nahiri means to, to me, I think, I imagine the great mana or experiencing the great mana of the primordial rainforest that once existed here and covered the land and the effect of that single living organism the forest, on the land and the waterways, the cycles of energy and evaporation and the, the transpiration. Sorry, I'm reading some of this. Uh, that ebbed and flowed with the seasons, um, mm. with the sun and the moon, and moved in the space between sky and earth across generations. And this was the experience of the first peoples to this land. This was the experience that they had. And that great forest, as Warwick has said, is no more. There are only remnants of once what once was. 
Uh, so uh, Pudako, narratives and waiata told by descendants of the first people are the only only living memories that remain of those first primordial forests. So to te ao Māori, the nahere is everything. It's it's our teacher, it's our, it's our, our teaching curriculum, it's our food basket, it's our medicine cupboard, it's you know as we as we know it's become understood as the lungs of the earth so the nahere to te ao maori is everything it's interesting warwick that so many of the ideas captured in what ramona's just talked about uh, and also this idea of modi the connection of things together in one i suppose interconnected network is coming back as a as a science idea and as an economic idea, isn't it? And you you have this beautiful phrase, "Think like a forest." Can you expand on that a little bit? And it, it seems to me that "think like a forest" captures also some of the sentiments that are expressed in those legends. Right. I'd like to just follow on for a moment and use the word "tire," because that's the word that captures all of this. The Maori word "tire." I hope my pronunciation's okay, Ramon. <laughs> Taiho. Uh, not, not Taiho, which means slow down. <laughs> Taiho is the word which captures exactly what you're saying there, Vince, because uh, what that says is that the forest and the, uh, is a combination of a whole lot of, of, of things. And, in fact, uh, in European terms, it was the term oikos. It's a Greek word which has become ecology. And which says that that the natural systems are a combination of uh, the soil, the water, and the climate, and and the organisms that in it. And uh, this is the word tire ties that all together, and has been a word that's been used in Maori culture for a long time, and uh, is essentially the same as the word ecology that we use today. It's fascinating that they've got them both. And I I want to refer to something that. Uh, Kiri Allen has spoken about uh, in, a little, in a few minutes because I think it's, it's, it's essential for us to consider that. Sheridan, when you think about native forests, uh, Nati, as a young person, uh, I think you've mentioned this to me before, it, being part of the conservation estate has meant that it's kind of over there. It's something else that is kind of sequestered away. Sequester is probably the wrong word in this climate change times, but you know, um, it is something that's kind of behind a fence, isn't it? And what the challenges from what Tane's Tree Trust is saying is actually, let's bring it forward, let's bring it into industry. Uh, can you explain from a young person's point of view, does, how, how did you perceive native forests? Um, I guess at university, I've graduated relatively recently. Um, apart from, I think, a few papers in first year, native forestry probably wasn't part of our learning because as far as like a professional forester is concerned, that, that native forestry is locked up. You know, it's not for foresting to us. So um, getting involved with Pure Advantage and learning more about Tane's Tree Trust and even just listening to Ramona talk, it's sort of, it gives me so many more feelings about the forest and it's so much more than I think that we learn about in our professional degrees mm. at university. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. And you mentioned when we were first talking, the idea of actually harvesting native trees seemed like a foreign concept to you. 
Yeah, I mean, we learn about selective harvesting. We've been to this great beach forest in North Canterbury. There's one place that does it, and that's all I've really ever heard about being able to do that continuous cover selective foresting. Yeah. Well, um, let, let's let's just go to Europe and see where it's been done for the last 500 years, <laughs> and we've learned a lot from them. Yeah. Um, Rep- continuous cover forestry. Uh, is a well-researched, well-known method of dealing with forest. Mm. Unfortunately, in New Zealand, we had this wonderful resource, which was there waiting for us to cut down, and we got stuck into it, didn't we? There's some <laughs> awful stories. I was reading one today about the 50,000 acres of forest that was burnt down in the Northland in one fire. We got rid of it big time because we had to put grass in. Mm. Um, I think... Ramona... In the Forest Act, it talks about, I think in the Forest Act, you know, that's what the, the, the Indigenous forestry defines, I guess, Indigenous forestry for, in as far as New Zealand is concerned. And in that Act, it, 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 that was written at a time, 1949, during which New Zealand realised and, re- and suddenly recognised that there was no forest or there was very little forest left and that there needed to be a rethink about how we treated these nahere or the remnants of what was once the great forest of Tāne or Te Waunea Tāne. And I, th- I, I think about the use of the word forestry uh, when we refer to the nahere and as an Indigenous person, that kind of gives me, you know, it, it kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable when we refer to it as forestry. Can you explain? My preference is that, you know, we talk about things like tree farms, if we're going to be planting plantations or new new plantations, we talk about things like tree farms rather than forestry. So tree farms for purposes that may extend beyond the uh, – the current notion of what forestry is because we've built a an industry here that uh, you know that is built on the colonial model of a forest and and that colonial model is is uh, resource focused it's about taking resources and creating wealth from from those resources. So when I think about the future of what our nahere could offer in the way of an economic return, I like to think of it rather than being profit-driven because I don't think our nahere should be profit-driven. I think it should be definitely profit needs to be part of an equation but if it, if it is profit-driven, then I think it loses its special essence. It loses its ability to, to do all of those intangible, intangible things that, uh, you know, we all talked about in the, in, in the opening minutes. And I think as a nation, we really need to think about our cultural identity when it comes to our forests. And, and that cultural identity, I think, needs to be, yes, we've done some very interesting things with radiata pine and other species. I think that that cultural identity should envelop that, but there should be a very 
special part of that cultural identity set apart for Nahere and we should treat it specially, you know, as a result. You use the word wealth and wealth in its biggest sense would still capture that. But what I guess what if I can interpret what I thought you were saying, or think you were saying, you were talking about a very narrow definition of wealth around financial returns and yeah. the sort of singular focus on just cutting down as much as you can to get a higher financial return. And what you talked about at the beginning was an understanding of wealth in a much bigger sense, in a full ecological and a spiritual sense also. Yeah, a a holistic approach to wealth. Yes. The the context that I was, I I led, you know, into this this part of the discussion around was around colonisation. And the idea of colonisation was to go to the nethermost parts of the world and then send those whatever resources you were to find there back to the motherland to support the motherland. And I think we need to move away from that as a a nation. We need to kind of redefine ourselves. You know, at at some point, somebody thought of this as the Antipodes, this in Australia, as the Antipodes, the nethermost parts from the motherland. I think, you know, we're 200 years later and we're still operating uh, as a nation on that model. And when we're thinking about um, nahere, tree farms, indigenous forestry, I'd like us to think about what that means. And well, what um, does that mean for you, Warwick? You talk yeah. about the full benefits yes, I, of I'd, native I'd like forest. To, so, so tell yeah. us, you know, expand. What are the full benefits of Yeah, There are of a whole lot of points forest. there, Ramona, I'd like to take up on. The first <laughs> one is that Māori, right from the very beginning, did continuous cover forestry in the Nahiri. Hmm. They would take a tree out, make a canoe out of it. They would take saplings out and build buildings. They treated it as continuous cover forestry, if you like. Uh, and and uh, you've got to believe that. Uh, that's what happened. And this is exactly what we advocate for. There are so many values. Uh, in fact, one of our members has just written a paper. It's just being published right now. It's 100 pages long, which talks about the non-timber values of native forests. There have been attempts to value those in dollar terms. I have attempted to stop people doing that because the moment you do that, someone's going to find a problem with it. But you can value it in subjective terms and say, how, how much do you value this forest for whatever value you'd like to see in it? Uh, and that, that may be landscape. It may be uh, heritage values. It may be, maybe you're putting this forest in for your grandchildren. It may be for water quality. It may be for soil uh, quality. All sorts of things. There are hundreds of things. And we advocate, we, right from the very beginning, we said, we have in New Zealand some of the best software timbers of the world. We value them for those properties. We should use them for whatever properties they are valued for uh, because we take the wrong way out of the forest. We take food from the forest. Why don't we take trees from the forest in such a way that the Nahi retains all of its other properties? We've actually done three trial loggings of Totara in the north, which do exactly that. And uh, a year after those trees have been taken out, you can't see where they were taken from. So it is possible to do this. And right from the beginning, Tarnish Tree Trust said the way to get people 
to actually value forest is to ask them what are all the values, which includes the value of the timber. And uh, if they're able to take that value out, uh, then well and good. So that's continuous cover forestry. I, I, I could go on. We're obviously living in a climate crisis. Yes. What is the contribution, and Ramona or, or Sheridan perhaps, what's the role of native forestry in addressing climate change? What, what capacity does our native forest have for sequestering carbon, for instance? I'll let Sheridan answer first, and then I can I can back her up. If that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess for me, in that sort of ideal world, it's the long term solution for sequestering carbon for climate change forever. Basically, you know, it's sort of the um, the, the slower build, but after that those trees are going to be on the land for a longer time and in terms of climate change and then not only like offsetting, but they're going to continue to be in our landscape forever. Like we're not just trying to offset emissions anymore. We'll just be actively Mm -hmm. sequestering that carbon forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's native forests and that's not the current exotic forestry model that we have. Mm. The interesting thing is that um, New Zealand hasn't been able to quantify the sequestering capability of native trees to this point. And Sion, who's... We have. I'm sorry, we have. Um, Well, let's finish that thought, Ramona, and then we'll come back to Warren. I'm not quite finished with that. I'm talking in in terms of the ETS, and the ETS and its its ability to quantify um, the sequestering capability of trees as as a tool, I guess, for climate change mitigation. And... One of the things, we, we had an ETS workshop here, well, not a workshop, a, a, a um, regulations review with, with Te Ao Māori a couple of weeks ago here. And one of the things that came through quite strongly was the message that Nahiri is an intergenerational solution. It's a solution that could, could last 800 years. And that, yes, um, radiata pine and, and potentially other exotic species might grow faster in the short term. But if we're thinking about the generations to come and about the world that we're trying to to prepare for, you know, or, or prepare the foundations for, then we need to look intergenerationally. And this, again, is a, a failing, I might put, it that way of of our our view of forests, our our national view of forests, our our accepted national view of forests is that forests are things that that you put in the ground and then you cut them down at twenty seven or thirty or fifty years and then they uh, they grow back. Well, there is another type of forest that lasts a longer time that does take a little while to ramp up. And, and get going, but once it does, it has the potential to provide an intergenerational climate change mitigation 
for our nation and for the world. And I think what's here is an opportunity for New Zealand to show the world, you know, other parts, other parts of the colonised world, how to do this. We've got an opportunity to, to redefine the benefits of forestry, forestry and Indigenous species. Warwick. Uh, Tony's Tree Trust has produced a carbon calculator, which is based on by far the biggest uh, data set of native forests, far bigger than forest research ever had. Uh, it's been, been generated by our own staff. We've produced a carbon calculator, which is based on real data. We know exactly how much carbon the trees can, but unfortunately, the lookup tables produced by MPI were produced on a very narrow set of, of very young trees. And we know that native trees grow very slowly when they're young. Uh, so we, we have two data sets, the MPI lookup tables for ETS, actually do not do justice whatsoever to the potential of native forests to sequester carbon. Now, let me give you an example, and this is a, a real-world example. Trees like kauri uh, and tautara, uh, and even possibly rimu, but particularly those two, uh, when they get up and going after about 20 or 30 years, can be putting on between 12 and 18 uh, cubic metres of timber a year per hectare. And, uh, of course, we've been blindsided by radiata. At the same time, radiata is putting on 30 or 40. And so having been blindsided by radio, we can't see past it. Uh, we can't see that in the long term, uh, our native forests are going to hold up much more carbon uh, and it will go on doing it for three or 400 years. And, and let's compare what we've done in New Zealand to what uh, the, the average rate of, of um, um, forest production in North America with the softwoods there is about 14 and Kauri and Tortra will do exactly that. So uh, we're, we're right up there. Our problem is that radiata is something right out way beyond uh, virtually anything else in the world. Uh, so we've got to come back to reality and reality. And, and uh, uh, one of the things that we in Tarnish Tree Trust have been trying to emphasize is the heritage value of forests, the long-term benefits. Uh, and uh, uh, farmers are getting it. Uh, unfortunately, our farms turn over once every 10 years. That's a pretty, but there are heritage values for the long term. Hi, Katie Ticker. I would say that science has a role to play in, in advancing the ability of, um, of our native species to help in the climate, you know, the climate issue. Science applied to nature can uh, help to um, to accelerate, I guess, the rate of sequestration. You know, so the same science that has been applied to radiata pine can essentially be applied to our native species. So there is a lot of hope there. And, you know, the regulators or the, or the decision makers about what, you know, what species to plant where, um, I think are starting to understand and open their minds to the to, to the wider possibility of what Nahiri can offer to our nation and those full range of benefits that you talked about, Warwick, the both the tangible and the intangible are so important. Mm. Um, and 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 they identify us as a nation. 
you know, ready out of pine, yes, uh, that's that's a story that we can tell as a nation. But as a New Zealander, you know, I'd like to back a a tree that comes that is endemic from this land. And and just the way it lights up people, you know, when we talk about Nahere, uh, people people just light up. Yeah. So there's so many. Good Great question here from one of our participants, Keith Dark from Tasmania, is saying that you know Tasmania has fantastic forests as well, um, quite uh, incredible stands of forest. But our state government, this is from Keith, our state government seems intent to develop tourism ventures over retaining our natural asset in an undeveloped state. How is New Zealand managing these development pressures? Do, do I, any of you have a, a point of view about the impact that ecotourism has, both positive and negative, on our native forests. I know that the government is trying to balance the landscape values against the the heritage values. There are the way they're classifying land and what you can plant on land speaks to that. There, there is a, a commitment to ensuring that our, our, our distinctive landscapes remain and that we, are, that we are making a conscious decision about what to plant where. I think we've got a little way to go, though. I think that there are other voices that need to be heard. Tane's Tree Trust uh, is one of those. Um, Farm Foresters Association, uh, Māori, um, and, you know, just your general New Zealander, I think need to be engaged in that conversation. This, this climate change strategy, which is on its way, and we all know it's coming, is, going to, has, has, is responsible for, the, for a change in a lot of policy. Uh, the RMA is going to be replaced by uh, a number of different things. The mm. ETS, the way we treat biodiversity and indigenous species. Conservation, I think you'll find, will, will kind of start to disappear from, from the language and we'll start to use more holistic, more New Zealand-specific terms to describe things. I think this, the if I were able to influence the state government over there in in Australia, I would say that they should listen to their people. They should definitely listen to the Indigenous people and they should uh, definitely listen to their citizens and their people. You know, just the general, those communities of practice that are passionate about ensuring the survival of biodiversity and endemic species because when we remove these species off the landscape, then a little bit of our identity and our culture and our heritage goes with that. comes back to this holistic, integrated, all the benefits seen as in their whole sense, not just the individual. And, and uh, you know, carbon sequestration, again, is, is kind of one of those, it's a vertical, isn't it? And seen on its, on its own, you would go, you, you would send you down a path of ignoring the benefits of forests as a whole. And 
all of which was a, a way of saying we've got a great question here from Dame Anne Salmond, who has joined our Kororo, and she's saying, do we really understand how native forests, not just native trees, sequester carbon? Everything in the Nahiri works together, including the fungal communities underground. As far as I know, there has been very little whole of forest research into carbon sequestration in Aotearoa that inquires into all the elements of the Nahiri, including the plants, plants and fungal communities. Is that is that true, that we, we don't have a sense of what's above and what's below? Uh, well, ha- having done uh, that very thing for Kauri Forest, I think uh, we do have we do have some understanding of that. The underground fungal activity, of course, is enormous. Uh, it's not being sequestered; it's just being redistributed down there. Uh, the sequestering sites is the leaf, uh, but then, of course, the storage of carbon in the Kauri Forest is absolutely staggering. You've got a leaf litter layer that's up to two meters deep, and it's just loaded with carbon. Right. Um, and it's uh, at a pH of two point eight. It's not going to not going to lose its carbon very quickly. Uh, so yes, we have an understanding. In some of our, our old podocarp forests, there's been some beautiful work done in the South Island by Alan Mark and his people on the total carbon storage there. So I think we, we do have an understanding, and translating overseas work to our own forests, I think, gives us a, a pretty good understanding of that. But can I just touch on the question that you just posed, the previous question? I, I, I've taken visitors to this country to, to uh, Rimu Forest, to Matai Forest, to Kauri Forest, and they're absolutely bowled over by it. It is a magical experience for them, and you can turn it into one for them by talking about the Nahiri. Uh, and if it's done by uh, local iwi, it has another dimension to it, which actually is can be a wonderful tourist experience, and, and we must capitalise on that. I think we, we have a great opportunity, and that's what you said, Ramona, in Tasmania. If they did it that way, you would add enormous value to that tourist experience. Mm. Yeah, so it's not one or the other. It's a plus plus. It's, a, it's, mm. it's an and and an and. Seems to be critical. Well, there's a good question here, um, and this might be one for you, Sheridan, about what does success look like in terms of, I don't know, this, this question's about total forest cover. You know, if, if we're down to 30%, what percentage looks like a good number to get to? But that perhaps is uh, one version of a bigger question, which is what what does success look like overall? And you've written a great piece in the whole series about what the future looks like. So tell us what, you know, 100 years from now, when you're bouncing a mokopuna on your knee, <laughs> by some miracle you'll be 121. <laughs> I guess when I like look at the future with this sort of blue sky thinking what I would love to see the future look like is that whole change of values and profits that goes along with what Warwick and Ramona are talking about that people understand that you know this money thing isn't what's going to make you happy you know like just a little bit happy well, you know, there's, <laughs> but just your, the whole understanding of it. So, mm. you know, like what will make you happy is fresh air, clean water, you know, a beautiful surrounding when you walk out your front door, when you go down the road, you know, when you do have your mokopuna with you and you're going out to go biking or just go for a walk through the forest, like what will New Zealand look like 
And then I hope that we can sort of keep working towards changing people's perceptions around, yeah, what they value from their environment. And basically, I think that that needs to start yesterday, you know, the longer we leave not prioritising natives in the landscape and where they fit. I mean, what would it look like right now if we'd put the same sort of investment into natives in terms of research and money that we did with Radiata? Mm. Yeah, hundred okay. yeah. percent. Over to you, Sion. <laughs> we, should, uh, we should start. We can do it. <laughs> we should start with putting native forest into the headwaters of every stream. Yeah, it's deep country, and it's this is where it starts. Uh, if you look at the video that uh, we've turned out, and you'll see uh, Ian mm. drinking water in the stream that he has revegetated with native forest. He's taken his high country, he's got six streams which originated on his property. He's creating a native forest in every one of those upper catchments. They're quite mm. steep, but uh, he's doing a brilliant job. Mm. And uh, I think that story. would be an aim to start with, to revegetate the headwaters. Uh, that, that, that they're not much use for anything else, really, as far as stock concerned. They're very yeah. steep. But they there arose so quickly, and that's where our sediment's coming from. And I think, you know, coming back to Sheridan's vision for the future and what she's talking about there, I think, is a redistribution of wealth, a redefinition of what wealth is Mm. would be one thing, and a redistribution of wealth, I think, would go a long way to New Zealand being able to, you know, set up a future for our mukapuna, one that they want to be a part of and what does that redistribution of wealth look like it starts with you know planting um, at the headwaters but you know iwi or iwi maori i'll say mana whenua don't even have the the resources right now to to replant uh, the lands that have been degraded so i think there needs to be a recalibration a recalibration of many things something along the lines of what Sheridan's talking about in terms of shared values. We need to look at what New Zealand stands for as a nation and then recalibrate according to that. And yes, there's an economic equation. There always has to be. But should it be the central point of all decisions? Is GDP the only thing that we should measure well-being by? You know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Interesting. Going to the point about the the land that is uh, you know steep, unfarmable, has previously been called kind of wasteland, and that, I know that's something that's that Maori really resist, isn't it, Romana? Because what's wasteful about about a hilltop? Well, we also well we generally the indigenous thinkers and in Tao Maori would also resist the idea of fighting climate change, you know. I think if we were to think of the natural world as as having its own ability to manage itself and to renew and revitalise and and reinvigorate itself, I think the only thing we as a human race need to do is manage our impact on the landscape, on... Mm you know, on on the land. And if we are able to do that, then I think we get a very different, we get a very different result. 
And when you think about things like how we manage the impacts of uh, erosion, etc., what about just retiring spaces? You know, the idea of retiring spaces into permanent forest. What's wrong with that? Well, it's happening that. naturally in the north. Over yeah. 100,000 hectares of hill country land that was farmed 30 years ago when the subsidies came off, it was not economic, so farmers walked away. What happened? It became a Monica forest. The birds flew the seeds of Tortora into it. It's now becoming a Tortora forest. Mm. There's over 100,000 hectares of land that is naturally becoming a Tortora forest. Mm. Uh, it's a brilliant thing to be watching, and this is where one of our members, uh, Paul Quinnan, is doing his research and is doing a trial extraction of Tortora, and it's working magnificently. Paul's a great guy, mm. and he applies that principle of reciprocity you know, this is, that's what we're talking about. We've got a reciprocal relationship with nature. Mm. If we look after nature, nature will look after us. And that's... Can, can I just, because uh, we're just about due to close, I, I want to finish with something that uh, Kerry Allen has, has uh, written in Forest and Bird, right? And we think of Kerry right now because she's undergoing enormous problems in her own life and, and we should be praying for Kerry right now. But a very perceptive lady, I have to say. And let me read what she's written, which really uh, uh, rang a bell with us and Tony's treatise, and myself in particular. She says, my focus is probably multifaceted. In the Te Ao Māori arena, we conserve the environment by being able to use the environment. And that might be a different experience for some who see conservation as something you lock up and leave it. My belief is firmly held that we conserve the whenua and we conserve the tire by ensuring that we can use the tire. Mm. I think very perceptive. Now, really salute uh, Kerry for making that, saying that to uh, Forrest and Bird, who are the prime lock up and leave it people. <laughs> well, that's probably a brilliant note to end on. And um, I wonder whether we uh, have just opened a massive can of worms with all this discussion <laughs> That is basically a series of unresolved questions. And the great news is that we have six more webisodes to go where we can drill into each one of these topics in greater depth, whether it's climate change, whether it's preserving forest from pests, whether it's continuous cover forestry. We have a terrific bunch of contributors lined up to talk who have also written for us on, uh, on the website, the Otato Nahiri Pure Advantage website. So I would really like to take this moment to thank our guests. Please join us again next week. And also would really like to thank our panellists, uh, Professor Warwick Sylvester, Sheridan Ashford and Ramona Radford. Thanks, everybody. To learn more about Pure Advantage and the work we do, visit pureadvantage.org. Watch the stunning short documentary Otato Nahiri and read insights from hundreds of expert contributions that highlight New Zealand's strategic advantages by putting the environment at the centre of all business decisions. Remember to follow us on Instagram and if you found this conversation valuable, please rate this podcast, share and subscribe. Thanks again for being on the journey with us.